Well, good morning and welcome to Church at Home. Uh, my name is Simon Clegg and I'm the pastor of St Barnabas Bible Church here in Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, if you're with us for the first time, we're delighted that you've joined us and I do hope by the grace of God that our talk this morning will be a blessing and an encouragement to you, even as you continue in fellowship with a local church. Now, we're currently in a series in the Gospel of Mark, which is all about Jesus Christ. It tells us who he is and why he came and how anybody today can receive him as their own personal Saviour and Lord. Now, if our study today leaves you with questions, or you'd like somebody on the team to pray with you, all you have to do is visit our website, www.sbbc.org.za, and on the homepage there's a contact tab, and you can leave your contact information there, and somebody on the team will be uh, getting back in touch with you in the course of the week. But now, as we begin, can I invite you to have your Bible open at Mark chapter 7 and verse 1. And before I read the passage for us, I'm going to pray and ask for God's help. Won't you bow your heads and pray with me? Our gracious God, thank you for giving us a clear and living word. We pray that you would help us according to our need that you would remove the barriers that prevent us from hearing, from trusting and obeying. And we do ask that your word to us this morning would do us good and cause us to honour you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Mark chapter 7, reading from verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who'd come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions such as the washing of cups, pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commandments of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honour your father and your mother. And anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is korban, that is, a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father and mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Well, just so far in God's holy and inerrant word. 
Now, uh, this passage is dealing with a deadly disease. Uh, It's a disease that's so deep and so dangerous that it makes all other diseases look minor by comparison. Because in Mark chapter 7, Jesus does, as it were, a a dissection of the human heart. It's not especially easy for us to study the first half of chapter 7 without the second half, but God willing, we'll come to that next Sunday morning. When we talk about Jesus dissecting the heart, it's probably better to say that he is dissecting the mind, meaning the way that we think, the way that we plan, the way that we live. It's such a radical process that it changes the way that the Christian views himself or herself, the world and everything. Now in our series we've been discovering that there is nothing superficial in Mark's Gospel. It is very weighty and it's been our prayer that it would come across in these talks as weighty. There's nothing frothy about it. And this particular passage is especially weighty. It is not a nursery rhyme. Uh, One of the great preachers in London in the last century was a man called Dr. Sangster. And he preached at uh, Westminster Hall for many years. He was a very experienced man. And uh, on one occasion he he said that some congregations would in fact be happy with the exposition of a nursery rhyme. And uh, to illustrate his point, he used the rhyme that begins, Old Mother Hubbard went to the cupboard to fetch her poor dog a bone. And uh, then he preached a short sermon on this nursery rhyme to his congregation. He did it powerfully. He did it emotionally. And when he finished, he said, Look, I believe if I gave an altar call now, some of you might even come forward. Now we're not doing anything like that this morning because Mark chapter 7 is not a nursery rhyme. Uh, It's not a piece of lightweight fluff. Jesus is being attacked verbally by religious leaders. They're angry that Jesus is not bowing to their rules and regulations. And Jesus goes on the counter-attack because their rules and regulations are actually a cover for rejecting God himself. So this is a very heated and very important debate. Now in case you can't immediately see how Mark 7 fits into the series so far, and maybe you're feeling that this is a a rather random left-field new topic, uh, let me remind you that in the previous chapters Jesus has been displaying his divine power and majesty, and especially in chapters 5 and 6. So think of him exorcising the man with the demons, or healing the lady with the sickness, or raising the little girl from the dead, or feeding the 5,000, or walking on the lake. Jesus has given such remarkable proof of his power and majesty that he expects everybody, and especially his disciples, to work out that he is the Son of God. But they don't. And I think, as I said last week, that this is a shock for Jesus. And he's forced to take his disciples very patiently on a much longer road of education. And he's going to teach them that they have a deep need, a huge problem, a condition which only he can solve. So they, like us, have to learn that they need him. And Mark chapter 7 
is part of that longer road of teaching to show the condition of the human heart. And because this is a clash between the Pharisees and Jesus himself, we're going to divide this into two points this morning. The first is, what is it that the enemies of Jesus Christ want? And that will take most of our time. And then the second point at the end is, what is it that Jesus Christ wants? So firstly then, what do the enemies of Jesus Christ want? Well, in verse 7, we see that some Pharisees and teachers of the law have come from Jerusalem. They've come to complain that the disciples of Jesus are not keeping their rules. Because they're eating their food without going through the ceremonial washing process required by the religious authorities. So, it's important to see that they're not complaining that the disciples aren't washing their hands in the same way that some parents today might complain when their children don't wash their hands because this isn't a hygiene issue and uh, to bring it up to date it's not a virus prevention issue this is a religious issue it's a religious ritual it's a religious ceremony and I guess it would be rather like me saying to you in church where are your hats? and when I said that I wouldn't be talking about sun protection or keeping the rain off. No, in that example I would be saying, look, come on, you know the tradition about wearing hats in church, so please wear your hats. Now where did this come from in Mark 7? Well in the Old Testament the priests, uh, that is to say Aaron and his sons, did wash their hands before going into the tabernacle. And it seems that God's people then made it a rule for everybody. And especially after the people of Israel were dragged off to Babylon and they'd been exiled and been deeply humbled. Because I think on their return from exile they were sincerely repentant. And it's possible they said at that time, if we're going to prevent something as catastrophic as the exile from happening again, we've got to be really serious about washing. I don't know, but it may have been something like that. But the point is, it was not God's word. It was just their rule. It was a tradition. It was something that they said, but which God had not said. And you'll see that Jesus has no interest in this at all, because he hasn't told his disciples to do it. And now these religious leaders come along and they're angry. In verse 5, they say, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? And uh, we might expect Jesus at that point to say something peacemaking. Uh, after all, it doesn't seem to us like such a big deal. So I guess Jesus could have said something like, well, you know, we're not Old Testament priests, so we don't have to do that. Or he might have said, come on, let's focus on the really big issues. Let's not stress about the small stuff. But you see, Jesus sees what you and I don't always see, which is that these religious leaders are elevating the rules of men and putting down the word of God. Now, I guess that could seem like something rather small to you, but it is actually the difference between choosing the wrong diagnosis over the right diagnosis. So suppose, for example, you go to the doctor and uh, the doctor says uh, one of your arteries is completely blocked 
and uh, you've got to have a triple bypass or you're going to die. And uh, then suppose after that somebody else comes along and they say, well, here's some fish oil. Forget the bypass. That's completely over the top. Just take the fish oil. Now you see, in that rather silly example, that person would be messing with your health and messing with your future. And in the same way, Jesus sees this elevating of human opinion over the divine word as choosing death over life. So look carefully with me, will you, at how the Pharisees were doing this. Look with me, for example, at verse 7. Jesus says, These are rules taught by men. Then verse 8, These are the traditions of men. Verse 9, These are your own traditions. Verse 13, These are your tradition. So, four times, Jesus says to them, this idea of washing hands before a meal as a way of keeping God happy has come out of your own imagination. This has not come from the mind of God. And Jesus makes the same point no less than four times. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with coming up with certain traditions or rules. So, for example, at St Barnabas, uh, we have a tradition that we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper on the third Sunday of every month. Now that's um, a reasonable tradition. There's nothing wrong with it. But you see, when a tradition or a rule cuts across the plan of salvation, when it brings in, as it were, a non-essential and says, this is absolutely essential for your dealings with God, that is damaging and it is dangerous. And as soon as you start to think to yourself, <clears throat> this rule is the way that I'm going to handle God, uh, this is how I'm going to keep God happy, or this tradition is how I'm going to save my soul. As soon as you start to think like that, you've already crossed the line. So these Pharisees are elevating human opinion. And instead, look at verse 8, because Jesus says, you have let go of the commands of God. In other words, the very thing that you ought to have been holding on to you've actually loosened your grip on it and let it drop. And in verse 9, Jesus says, you have set aside the commands of God. You've actually pushed them away. And in verse 13, he says, you've nullified the word of God. Literally, that phrase in the original means you have de-lauded the word of God. You've dethroned it. So, for example, picture a man uh, he's got a Bible in his hand, uh, he likes his Bible, but then he puts his Bible on a table, uh, that's not so bad. But then a bit later he says, no, uh, the Bible belongs on the shelf, and he puts it on the shelf. And then a bit later he takes it off the shelf and puts it in a cupboard, he shuts the cupboard door and he locks it. Now that I think is the process Jesus is describing here. To let it go, to put it aside and ultimately to consider it worthless. Now, it's not hard, is it, for us to imagine how an individual or indeed a committee might do something like this. I mean, imagine, for example, the synod of some great denomination saying at their annual meeting, we are passionate about this human idea. So, 
this year uh, we're going to make it the year of the climate change gospel Uh, we're going to make sure that in all the churches what enthuses us, what excites us is the gospel of climate change so we're going to preach it we're going to teach it and we're going to live it out in our lives and as the the group gets more and more excited about this uh, and thinks of the different ways it might be implemented well the Bible is quietly closed and then the Bible is pushed further away in case it threatens the plan and then the Bible is seen to be a positive nuisance it's an irritation now that you see my friends is what's actually going on in Mark chapter 7 now the illustration that Jesus uses in verses 10 to 13 I find fascinating because he uses the illustration of the Pharisees who know the fifth commandment backwards they know it perfectly well the fifth commandment says honour your father and mother but you see what they've done is they've invented a rule called called giving your money to a religious project uh, which in this case is called Corban uh, devoted to God and therefore you see they could turn to their parents and say "Uh, mum and dad sorry about this but the money that I would have given you to enable you to survive in your old age I've given to this very exciting religious project and it means of course there's nothing left for you and I wonder if Jesus chose this particular illustration out of the very many he might have chosen because it shows that God's command is heartfelt and the Pharisees tradition or rule is heartless you see this simple rule of ceremonial washing of the hands is in fact part of a whole system of religious pride it's designed to remove the word of God and replace the word of God it's designed to remove the son of God and replace the son of God and Jesus can see that where you and I possibly wouldn't so no wonder that Jesus is as strong as he is in chapter 7 verse 6 calling them hypocrites because they're playing a dangerous game they know what they're doing and they're speaking empty words and the great tragedy is that by doing that what they're doing is separating both themselves and their followers from God verse 6 these people honour me with their lips but their hearts are far from me so can you see that the very thing which Jesus has come to do which is to build the bridge between God and people the Pharisees are trying to destroy the very separation which Jesus has come to repair they're working overtime to preserve and protect now friends what does all of this mean for you and me this morning I guess we all know that the the secular world is perfectly capable uh, of elevating human opinion and completely ignoring the word of God so just think for example of the very strong opinions that are around at the moment about human sexuality uh, or marriage uh, or race and we know perfectly well that secular society is capable of elevating the opinions of men and totally dismissing the word of God but never mind the secular world what about the Christian community 
Because, you see, the Christian community is also very good at elevating human thoughts above the words of God. Now, for some reason, we, we make all kinds of rules and regulations because it comes so naturally to us to do it. Um, it's the way that the human heart thinks we ought to be able to relate to God, to impress him, uh, to sustain our fellowship with him, to do our be- obedience and keep our righteousness. That is actually our default way of thinking. My mind and your mind goes again and again to works rather than faith. And you see, every single denomination, whether it's uh, Anglican or Catholic, Baptist, Presbyterian, Charismatic, Independent, whatever it is, can easily elevate some non-essential idea and make it into an essential way of doing business with God. So it's possible that the Catholic Church might say, you've got to have membership with us and you've got to take our sacraments. Or the Anglican Church might say, you've got to submit to our bishops and you've got to get confirmed. Or the Presbyterians might say, you've got to acknowledge our eldership and you've got to embrace our ultra-reformed theology. Or the Baptists might say, you've got to have baptism by complete immersion. Or the Charismatics might say, uh, you've got to have the experiences we've had or you've got to have the gifts we've got. And you see, in all those cases, a non-essential is set up as an essential for fellowship with God and Christian people. But notice what the test for Jesus is. The test for Jesus is what does Scripture say? And what builds bridges rather than tears them down? Well, I guess I've been around in churches long enough to see that it is sometimes possible for people to be absolutely ferocious when it comes to a rule about something non-essential. Uh, it could be something like pews in the church um, or wearing clerical robes or the kind of music we have or the kind of liturgy that we're using. And suddenly that becomes the test for fellowship and the test for righteousness. And so you and I, I think, need to be very careful, need to be very wary of where human opinion rises up and actually becomes a source of separation. Now yes, we can't do what Jesus does in verse 6, which is to see into another person's heart. Now I can't see into your heart, and you can't see into mine. But what we can do is we can check ourselves, and we can ask ourselves the question, am I content with God's word as the basis for fellowship? And am I content with God's gospel as the basis for fellowship. I've mentioned Bishop J.C. Ryle to you before, and uh, as long ago as 1880, he was very hot on this. And he said this, and I quote, "It, It must not content us to take our bodies to church if we leave our hearts somewhere else. The eye of man may detect no flaw in our service. Our minister may look at us with approval. Our neighbours may think of us as patterns of what a Christian ought to be. Our voice may be heard foremost in the praise and the prayer. But it is all worse than nothing in God's sight if our hearts are far away. It is only wood, hay and stubble before him who discerns thoughts and reads the secrets of the inward man. What does that mean? Well, 
Is it possible for me to preach to you while my heart is far away? Well, it is. Is it possible for you to be tuning into the service and singing the songs and saying the prayers with your mouth while your heart is somewhere else? It is. So we need to be extremely careful and we need to be especially careful that with our rules and traditions we do not become an enemy of Christ. So that is the first thing this morning. And then more briefly the second thing what does Jesus Christ want? I mean why does Jesus have this argument at all? Uh, does Jesus have this argument because he likes having arguments? Is Jesus an angry person? Was he always picking fights with people? Well I hope you know the answer to that. But the point is that Jesus has this argument here because he wants to deal with disease. The disease of the human heart which is going to be made new whenever a person puts their trust in Christ and his cross. A couple of years ago uh, a street preacher in London was taken to court and the reason that he was taken to court was because somebody had been offended that he was speaking about sin in the public square. And uh, interestingly this is one of those rare occasions when by the grace of God the judge was actually helpful to the Christian cause because the accuser said he didn't like the preacher speaking about sin and uh, the judge replied but are we not all sinners? And the accuser said, well yes, but I don't like being told that I'm bad. And the judge said, well okay, I'll do that for you. And the accuser said, that offends me. And the judge said, yes, we can be offended by anything, even by somebody's tie. And he dismissed the case. And the preacher said, you see, that his motive for speaking about sin in public was so that he might tell people the wonderful news that God has sent his son to provide forgiveness. I mean, it's so obvious, isn't it? And friends, that is precisely what Jesus Christ is interested in. The great compassion of Jesus is such that he's even speaking to the Pharisees for their good, for their welfare. Yes, he's cross with them, but he really does want them to be saved. So Jesus attacks the heresy of the Pharisees because the heresy of the Pharisees ties them and everybody else <coughs> up in knots. And the truth is that rules do tie us up in knots. Uh, so we ask ourselves, don't we, have I kept the rule that keeps me in God's good books? And then that sets us off on a, a roller coaster of thinking and emotions, up one day in pride down the next day in despair and friends that is an absolutely fatal way to run your Christian life and if you don't believe me go and read Romans chapter 7 as a child uh, my family used to worship at the local church uh, which was called St Luke's and uh, St Luke's was a very beautiful church uh, I guess the building was at least a thousand years old it looked like a church uh, there was a choir the choir wore robes, the rector wore robes, the ladies wore hats and uh, the prayers were sung rather than said, uh, the Bible readings were from the old authorised version 
everybody loved it I don't think they understood it but they loved it and the church was packed every week but you see it was all about these visible traditions and rules and if there was any gospel at St Luke's which I personally doubt it was utterly smothered by these traditions and rules so nobody got saved Christ wasn't in our lives and he wasn't in our homes and of course nobody had any assurance so when my parents for example reached the end of their lives they had absolutely no idea where they, where they were going I mean imagine that they'd been going to church for 80 years but no one had led them to Christ well the other reason that Jesus attacks these traditions is because traditions create walls in the fellowship so you see what happens is people start comparing themselves with others in their minds they're thinking is that person keeping up with me do they know my standards I mean what a terrible terrible thing to say am I keeping up with you am I managing to do everything you're doing can you see that kind of thing creates terrible walls and barriers in the fellowship and ultimately you see these traditions separate people from God they don't bring fellowship with God they don't motivate gratitude they don't bring forgiveness they don't bring Christ so Jesus you see attacks this disease like the best doctor in the universe he, he brings along his spiritual x-ray machine and he says just look at this just see how desperate your situation really is because you see he's going to go on and give them not just the diagnosis but also the medicine of his blood of his mercy of his forgiveness and his grace and you see for that reason I want to close this morning with something that Dr Martin Lloyd-Jones said because I want those of you who are listening this morning uh, who are not trusting in traditions and rules but who are trusting in the Lord Jesus to hear it because I think you will love to hear again the simple, clear, powerful message of the cross this is what Dr Lloyd-Jones said quote I don't know you my friends not individually but this is the wonderful thing about the work of the preacher he does not need to know his congregation completely do you know why? because I know the most important thing about every single one of you which is that each of you is a sinner I don't care who you are because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and I don't want a catalogue of your sins I don't care what your sins are they can be very respectable or they can be vile, foul and filthy it doesn't matter thank God but what I have authority to tell you is this though you might be the vilest man or woman ever known and though you may have lived your life until this moment in the gutters and brothels of sin in every shape and form I say this to you through this man the Lord Jesus Christ is the forgiveness of sin and by him all who believe you included are justified entirely and completely from everything you've ever done if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God 
and that he died on the cross for your sins and to bear your punishment. And if you believe that and rely on him and what he has done, I tell you in the name of God that all your sins are blotted out completely as if you had never sinned in your life and his righteousness is put on you and God sees you perfect in his son that is the message of the cross end quote and friends I'm sure that you'll agree with me that that is a far far better message than all the traditions and rules in the world so let's pray together Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message of the cross. Thank you that anyone can be forgiven and put right with you by trusting in the death of Christ in our place. Forgive us for the times when we've established our own traditions and rules as the basis for fellowship and so made it much harder for other people to come to Christ. And in these very difficult days, help us to hold out the wonderful offer of free forgiveness and reconciliation that is always and only found at the cross of Christ. For it is in his precious name we ask it. Amen.